There's something uniquely dangerous about a motorway services station in the dead hours of the night. You can feel it as you pull off the slip road and cruise through the sodium wastes of the empty car park to stop by the sad little strip of landscaping that separates the vehicles from the children's play area. You get out of the car to silence except for the washing machine rumble of passing traffic and usually something tinny and corporately approved echoing out of the main entrance. You can have some seriously weird and melancholy thoughts at a motorway service station. About your mortality, about the doomed future of the human race, and just who thinks it's justified to charge 10p over the odds for petrol. It's a bloody crime is what it is. I try not to drive at night, but if you do, you've got to stop regularly or risk the chance of waking up with a face full of airbag. Therefore, the best thing is to get in and out of the service station as fast as possible, before the blues come creeping around your shoulder. Still, had I been alone, I would have kept driving until I was safe in the embrace of the city. But I wasn't on my own. Sick, said not Nicole as we pulled up. Beverly jumped out, opened the passenger door and made sure not Nicole got a good three metres from the ASBO before she threw up. She hadn't eaten much in the last day or two, so it was mostly fluid. They don't have a lot in the way of chocolate, refined sugar or carbonated beverages in fairyland, so she'd gone a bit mad for her first seven days amongst people, and then spent the last three days bringing it all back up. While she did that, I did a fast scan of the car park. A couple of mid-range saloons, one Chelsea tractor and a Mercedes with its bonnet up. A white man leant over the engine, calling instructions to another person in the driver's seat. I couldn't hear any engine noises, not even the starter, and the tone indicated that tempers were being lost. One part of my mind idly tagged them a potential problem and moved on. Not Nicole straightened up. You've got to be empty by now, said Beverly, who really had no sympathy at all. Water, said Not Nicole. What's the magic word? asked Beverly. Water, please, said not Nicole. And Beverly rewarded her with a warm bottle of Evian. That was the last, said Beverly. We need to stock up. The core of the service station was your standard one-size-fits-all red brick mini-mall with a glass pyramid roofette in the middle and the aesthetic appeal of a rural bus shelter. And like a bus shelter... There were certain circumstances in which one was very glad to see it and its cornucopia of 24-hour shops and fast food outlets. While Beverly took Not Nicole to the toilets, I hit WH Smith for bottled water and enough Haribo to get me safely back to London. The white girl behind the counter must have been dying of boredom because she perked up as soon as I walked in. She wanted to know where I was coming from. Herefordshire, I said, which led to an explanation as to why we were on the M4. In the fluorescent light, her skin looked pale and unhealthy, and there were smudges under her eyes. I remember feeling as bad as she looked, doing late shifts during my probation. She was wearing a badge that announced her name was Suzanne. Just as Suzanne was half-heartedly trying to tempt me with a special offer on a bar of chocolate the size of a paperback book, a low moan sounded from the far side of the building. 
She froze, and we both listened to see if it came again. A glass smashed in the distance, and there was the distinctive sound of stacked furniture falling over, followed by swearing in a foreign language. Suzanne relaxed. It's just Cornell, she said, the security guard. And then, as if it explained everything, said, he's Romanian. I paid up and wished Suzanne good luck for the rest of the shift, at which she smiled wanly. As I left the building, there was another crash, a long moan in Romanian. As I walked back to the Asbo, one of the white men by the stalled car attracted my attention. Excuse me, mate, he called. Do you know anything about engines? As it happens, I don't really, but I like to show willing, and I wouldn't have joined the police if I didn't like sticking my nose in other people's business. I changed course and started walking towards him. Are you having a problem, mate? I asked, which is the correct ritual response in these situations. Yeah, he said. Won't start. He was smaller than me, but stocky, middle-aged with a long nose, deep-set eyes and receding fair hair in a side parting. He bobbed nervously as I approached and ushered me towards the bonnet. The second man got out of the driver's seat and peered at me over the roof. He was younger, slimmer, and had more hair, but a similar cast to the nose and eyes. Made me think they might be related. I saw that an old white lady was in the back seat, a serenely sleeping face beneath a cap of curly white hair. Next to her, the remaining space in the back had been packed with small suitcases, plastic carrier bags, a worn, stuffed donkey, a pile of paperback books, and a set of cream-coloured, padded photograph albums spilling out of a brown paper bag, what looked to me like the random leftovers you get when you move house. They introduced themselves as the Phillips brothers. The eldest was Richard and the youngest, Jasper. They were relocating their mother from her ancestral council flat off Cable Street to a recently constructed granny flat at Shea Philip in Swindon. Only the engine started cutting out, said Richard. Yeah, we had to push it up from the slip road, said Jasper. The AA had been summoned but had yet to arrive. I asked Jasper to get back in and try to start it again. Through the windscreen I saw his arm tense as he turned the key, but absolutely nothing happened. It's the electrics, isn't it? I said. Richard nodded. What else could it be? He asked. I put my hand on the engine and, much to my surprise, found out. Magic leaves a trace behind on the material world. We call this trace vestigia. You probably sense it a dozen times a day, but until someone teaches you to recognise it, then you've probably mistaken it for a memory or a daydream or just the random misfiring of your neurons. There was a flash of singing and the smell of rotting seashore, licorice and sherbet, wet pavement, and the flickering cigarette smell of an old cinema. Once you know what to look for, you start to learn to interpret what you sense. Metal retains vestigia for a long time, but this was hot and fresh and newly laid down. It also wasn't the stuff laid down by everyday life or a mercurial intrusion from fairy. This was the same flavour 
as the vestigia that permeated the shooting range back at the folly. This is what the Germans called Magie Vestigium, the trace left behind when your actual wizard does a spell. I quickly stepped back from the bonnet and did a 360 of the car park but saw nothing. Richard gave me a startled look, but before he could speak, I showed him my warrant card. Where exactly did the engine stop? I asked. Like I said, he said, on the slip road. I wondered whether it was worth the time and effort to dig out the Mercedes electronics to see whether its chipset had been thaumatologically degraded, but decided against it. I knew from bitter experience that any microprocessor sitting that close to a spell strong enough to leave that clear vestigia was going to be completely trashed. Besides, there was an easier way to check. Have either of your phones stopped working? I asked. How did you guess? Asked Richard. I persuaded Richard to hand his over and shook it next to my ear and heard the unmistakable sound of fine sand hissing through the remaining components. Same as the electrics, I said. Was it an EMP pulse? asked Jasper, getting out of the car. Possibly something like that, I said. I do like it when members of the public provide their own cover story. Saves ever so much time and effort. What's an EMP pulse? asked Richard. While Jasper explained, getting most of the technical details wrong, I noticed, I looked over at where Beverly was waiting impatiently with not Nicole by the Asbo and beckoned them over. Can you keep an eye on the car for me? I asked Beverly. Who's inside? she asked. I explained about how the Phillips brothers were relocating their aged mother and how I just needed to pop back up the slip road to see whether a rogue practitioner had nobbled their car. Peter, said Beverly. You do know I'll be really quick, I said, honest. She gave me a sly smile and told me to take my time. 